Welcome to the Data Bites podcast by Women in Data, where we give you your weekly bite-sized dose of career development advice, industry case studies, and career stories to help you excel in your data career. Today, I'm joined with Jean-Luca, the author of Zero to AI and the founder of the AI Academy. His mission is to make artificial intelligence more democratic, enabling people without a tech background to understand it and use it in their profession. He has taught AI to hundreds of people, ranging from high school students to executives at large multinational corporations. Welcome. So excited to chat with you again today. Thank you for having me, Sadie. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, so I got connected with you on Instagram and really fell in love with what you're doing immediately because I felt like you were touching a market that hadn't really been reached. I mean, a lot with my work in women in data is to help people get into tech careers, but you took a little bit of different approach with it by showing that all people can learn AI and need to learn AI to use it in their career. So would love to start off and understand just, you know, why did you identify this need of AI for everyone? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I think it's also a great place to start this conversation. So my feeling is that a lot of people consider AI as something distant from them, something that it doesn't touch them and they cannot understand and they can't do anything with. And I think that's wrong. I think my way of looking at AI is as a tool. So not different from, let's say, a hammer or a screwdriver or a saw, you know? These are all tools that by themselves, if you don't have an idea of how to use them and what to build with them, they're completely useless. But if you take a hammer, you give it to, you know, a carpenter, it can be used to build a house. If you give it to an artist, you build an amazing statue. And the same thing for me is AI. AI is nothing more than a tool. And so once you give it to a doctor, a doctor can foresee all the different ways that it can be used in, in its job to help patients. If you give it to an energy engineer like me, because that's my background, <laughs> I can see a lot of different ways I can use that to, let's say, forecast the energy consumption of a building, to optimize the energy, energy consumption of a building and do all this sort of stuff. So the key to me is that AI is a tool and people should use it to solve their problems. So if you look at AI in this way, then it becomes evident that people, they have challenges to solve, that they face challenges in their profession, in their industry. They are the ones that know all these problems. They are the ones that know how to apply this. They are the ones that have, you know, they need to put a, a, a nail in the wall if we go back to the example <laughs> of, the, of the hammer, right? So these are the people that I wanted to target. These are the people that I wanted to give... Um, general understanding of artificial intelligence so that they know that that tool exists and they know that there's you know some opportunities out there that they can use to build all the kind of products that they need to solve the challenges so that was really what motivated me yeah i, I couldn't agree more that ai really is a tool and i think it was in your ted talk you had mentioned that like ai isn't changing the world it's the people who use ai are changing the world. And I really love that quote because um, it just, it's so empowering, right? To think of it, it's like not sitting in the passenger seat. Like we have the ability to sit in the driver's seat with AI wherever you are and take advantage of it. Um, and you mentioned a few applications for it in terms of, hey, when you start to look at it as a tool, right? If you're, it's a hammer, you know, put some nails um, through the wall, right? But what else do you see or from the people in like your classes 
who are starting to learn about AI, how do you see it apply not only to their work in terms of looking at problems differently, but how has it helped their career and how they apply just learning about AI in general um, to their life and career? Yeah, so I think we are in an interesting phase when it comes to adoption of AI for non-technical people because we are in the beginning, I believe, of the, the, the formation of a bunch of new jobs, a bunch of new job descriptions. And the example I like to make is with an analogy with what happened with the world of mobile apps. So oh, there's a friend of mine who was the first Apple developer in Denmark. So when the iPhone was launched in 27, he was one of the first people in Denmark where I live now to have a developer account. And so he told me that in the beginning, companies, even big companies like supermarkets and you know big retailers will come to him and say, hey, I need an app. Can you help me with it? And he will say, well, what do you need it for? And they will tell him, I don't know. I, I need an app. <laughs> and it's like, okay. Let me figure this out. And so you will go there, do a customer discovery, then do all the value proposition design, then design the UX of the app, the UI of the app, then build the front end, the back end, and do all this stuff by himself. And I think if you look at it now, what happened? Um, now, if you want to build an app, you have a bunch of different professions that take care of different tasks. You have somebody who will define the value proposition, somebody who will make the UX research, and the UI research, and you have front-end developers, back-end developers. So there are a bunch of different jobs that are related to the work of developing apps. And not all of them are technical. Actually, I think most of them are not technical right now. Mm -hmm. Think about how many project managers there are, UX designers, UI designers, how many people take care of the digital marketing of these apps, et cetera, et cetera. And I think the same thing is happening with AI. If I think about what was, was happening six years ago, seven years ago, when I started working in this field, companies will come to me with the same kind of breeze that my friend got. Hey, I want to use AI. I'm like, why? Well, because I just read on the news that it's cool. And I want my company to be seen as a cool, innovative company that is in the forefront of technology. And that changed a lot. Today, there's a lot more awareness of the importance of having a very strong business value proposition. There's a lot more awareness on the importance of strategy. Companies know that they need to care about data availability, the privacy and ethical sides of it. So the needs start to come out. And I think the next step is going to be to have very specific job descriptions for people that take care of these needs. So I think it's not going to be really hard to imagine a world where there's a job description as AI ethicist or AI UX designer, or project managers that are specific for AI products. So this is a thing where we're going to go. So when I talk to my students, I always tell them, hey, you need to think about the trend. You need to be a little bit like a surfer. You know, people who surf, mm -hmm. you, you're in California, so you've seen a bunch, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> wait for the wave to start, you know, getting bigger, and then they kind of try to ride that wave. So when the wave is big, they're already, you know, standing on their surfboard right now with ai and this kind of new jobs we are the same we are the beginning of that wave so if you ride that mm -hmm. wave now when all these job descriptions are going to be you know out there they are going to actually already have some experience in, in doing these kind of things so today if you want to find a job that is non-technical I and mean, it's in ai you're probably not going to find somebody who hires let's say ai ux designers quote unquote. 
-hmm. But if you find a job posting for UX designers in AI company or uh, UX designers in a company that has AI features and you know about AI, well, then, I mean, they're going to hire you 100%. That's already my experience, actually. I was, my first uh, gig as a consultant was for a pharmaceutical company. And they were looking for a technical innovation manager. That's how they call this mythical creature that you wanted. It was going to be like, uh, yeah, it was kind of weird. It was basically a project manager, but for their innovation products, something like this. And I remember Mm -hmm. in my interview, I just went there because I was curious to see who who these people were. I said, hey, uh, are you working on AI? And they were like, yes. Why are you asking? I was like, well, because I'm interested in it. And I know about it you know <laughs> i've been building projects and they're like oh my god yes we want you because they were working on ai projects so that was not clear on the job description but if you start talking to them and if you tell them that you have this knowledge they will want you so a lot of my students today they have they work in uh, positions like there's a guy who just found a job as a marketing specialist for an ai company and he said that you know knowing a little bit about ai was instrumental in the interview there's a girl I recently interviewed. Her name is Helen. She is working as a global partnership specialist at a, at a company called Global AI Hub. And her background is in uh, international relations. It has nothing to do with AI. But she yeah. did the work of starting to understand the core concepts of AI. And then that, that little knowledge became her, you know, the, the biggest added value that gave to her resume. Mm-hmm. So that's why she got hired by this company. Yeah, I, I love your story of the first job because I have a very similar one. I, one of my first jobs was an analytics enablement engineer. Like what that means, I have no idea, right? <laughs> but I was very much like just told him like, hey, I'm studying data science. I'm interested in AI. I will prototype any project you want, right? And they're like, cool. Yes, you are on the team. Still don't know what analytics enablement engineer means, but I think you've identified something so keen here, which is the jobs family is evolving, just like it did back in the day when apps were all the rage and and you know we have now a, a literally a job family for creating it. In women in data, we've identified at least 50 different job titles within like a data science family that already exists just now today. And we don't even have the ones which I'm excited about, like the AI ethicist, or what about an AI therapist? Like, what do we do when all these machines go crazy? Like, is there a therapist to come in and, and fix these machines, right? So this is continuing to evolve. And your analogy with the wave and surfing is right on, because I think something, if you're not a surfer and I am, I think you may not know that to catch the wave, you don't just sit there. You have to paddle before the wave gets to you. So I think it's really important. Like we think about catching the wave, like you have to be at the right place at the right time, but that's not actually true. It's at the right place at the right time and making sure you're taking effort to paddle to actually catch it. And I think what you're doing with your classes is like teaching people to paddle so they can actually catch that wave. Absolutely. That's 100% correct. And actually, it's, I'm happy that you're a surfer because um, I am not. <laughs> I, I've lived in San Francisco <laughs> for a while and I never went surfing, but I spoke to surfers. And my understanding, tell me if I'm right or if I'm wrong, is that you need to do a little bit of effort in the beginning, for sure. You need to, you know, mm-hmm. work. But if you actually catch the wave, then from that moment on, a lot of the effort is going to be done by the wave. 
So it's the wave that is going to push you if you have done the right work to be, you need to get to the right spot at the right moment in the right position, right? Mm -hmm. And then from that moment on, you're going to be pushed. Am I right? Yep. Exactly. So, so it, it, it's not a ton of effort, right? But it's at least showing a couple key things, right? Reading where the waves is coming from. So you're in the right position, yes. putting a little effort in and then having the techniques. And I kind of think of it as like those tools that you're training and the tools we talk about with AI, having those tools to actually be able to stand up and ride the wave. <laughs> exactly. And honestly, one of the things that I like the most about AI um, is that a lot of these things that we're talking about, a lot of the tools that are going to be required, there's, this don't exist yet. They're really in a phase of being developed. Um, let's just talk about ethics. So last mm -hmm. year, I started getting very interested in the concept of AI ethics and in that field. And one year ago, there was no regulation. Just think about this. One year ago, there was nothing written anywhere about what companies should do about AI ethics. Today, there's the EU has its own regulation. China has working on its own. The US is working on its own. Like now, there's there's a, a billion of AI regulations, uh, right? They're not all of them enforced yet, but they're just drafts. But again, this is something that didn't exist a year ago. So to me, this is extremely exciting. What I did not like about engineering, because that's my main background, energy engineering, was that I was studying a lot of inventions that were maybe, you know, 50 years old, 100 years old. Some things are 300 years old, you know? And I felt like everything was written. And what I could do was just give incremental uh, contribution to the field or just apply what other people have, uh, have done already. Whereas with AI, it's a field that it's the rules of the game are being written today. So the, the, the wave, let's say, is, it's about to come. I think we haven't seen, we have seen just the start of this wave. And that makes it extremely exciting for me because, first of all, I'm going to keep learning. And I hate being in a position where I'm not learning. I get bored so easily. And also, I get to have, I get to say my own view on these things. I get to develop my own thinking and I get to shape, hopefully, I hope, the the future of this industry and also you know help people do the same i always say do you who do you think is gonna be is gonna bring the most important breakthroughs in ai ethics a data scientist hell no i think it's gonna be a, a philosopher maybe somebody who studied mm -hmm. sociology i don't i don't know exactly but i don't think it's gonna come from from a data from a data scientist so i'm waiting for these people to work together or, you know, just wait and see what new people are going to bring to the field and how this this field is going to be shaped, right? I think that's, that's one of the things that makes it really exciting. Yeah, and you and I both share a similar passion in the AI ethics standpoint. And I appreciate the book you'd recommended to me. It's been fantastic. It's the ethical algorithm. I highly recommend anyone read that book. But... I do agree that it's going to be diverse minds coming together to come up with these new pathways. And I have been obsessed with researching, like, is there a way to actually develop compassionate algorithms? Like if we can optimize for anything, can we actually optimize for compassion? And when I start to think about these questions and like, I have in a way my own research that I'm doing, like one of the things I'm like, I need to bring in like 
religious leaders and philosophers and like neuroscientists. Like this is not something I just saw with the data. This is something like solved with people from all these different disciplines because it's those perspective, I think, that are actually going to get us to the heart of the conversation. And in addition, I think we've done it the way what we see today with the ethics and AI is the result of us not bringing other people in the conversation and just technology people building technology. And we've yep. seen the harm it does. We've seen the harm with social media. And now we're kind of having to backtrack and say, okay, maybe we need to slow things down. Maybe we need some regulation. And I think really where we can optimize this is bringing more people to the table from those diverse backgrounds. Yes. And I think something that really, really fascinates me is how certain challenges in technology, especially in AI, are bringing some conversations to the table that before were just not as much present. Okay. And I want to give you an example that I think is going to be also relevant to your audience. I was talking to, uh, I was talking at a conference and I was talking about AI ethics and I wanted to give some examples, some like practical examples of AI gone wrong, let's say. And I make mm -hmm. the super famous by now example of the Amazon uh, algorithm. The Amazon built this algorithm for HR and it turned out that the algorithm was sexist. So it was basically rejecting most women from the, the applications. And people freaked out. They were like, wow, this is awful. I'm like, there's an algorithm that if it, if it reads a resume and understands that it's a woman, it's gonna not, you know, make her move forward in the application process. This is awful. Everybody was just so shocked. And I'm like, well, guys, you're shocked about this? Like, really? Is it a new problem? Is this something from, you know, 2020? Like, and then I just pulled yeah. the data from the European uh, Union Commission that developed, um, they made a, a research about the gender gap in ICT roles. And I told them this was in Italy. And I'm like, do you know that I think 14.7% of ICT workers are female. So this problem has always been there. But like, mm -hmm. now we are talking about, and now you're shocked because algorithms picked up on it. Algorithms are not evil. Algorithms learned from the data. And the data, guess what, is produced by people. So I am more... You should be more shocked about the managers who made sexist decisions and produce the data that the algorithms learn from, right? But so far, it's it's kind of absurd the fact that we get more shocked when algorithms do something that we consider ethical. It is weird. It is absurd. But I'm happy that this is bringing more awareness to some issues. For some reason, I don't understand why people are more uh, upset when algorithms are biased than when people are biased. But I don't care, honestly. What I want is that these topics come to the table. The people do get, you know, indignated. The people do think, oh my God, this is awful. We need to do something about it. And then hopefully that's going to be the conversation starter to take care about all these more, you know, th the issues that are underlying these algorithm al algorithmic biases. One thing that I think it's interesting that it's in the book that we talked about, uh, the, the ethical algorithm, is uh, you mentioned how can we build compassionate AI? One really good exercise is think about what actually does it mean to be compassionate? So algorithms, they need to have some mathematical explanation, otherwise they're not gonna understand it. And so once you start thinking, how can I measure compassion? How can I measure fairness? How can I measure an algorithm that is fair in HR, for instance? Well, 
you found out that it's really hard to do this. Yeah. But just thinking about this, it puts your brain in motion. And I found at least with, with the, my clients or my students that just thinking about this, it's already, even if they don't do any AI application, the thinking already produces some relevant change in their mind. I have to say I changed in the way that I look at fairness, that I will look at all these issues by researching what does it mean for AI. It's kind of like I was trying to teach machines and by teaching machines, I actually taught stuff to myself, which is kind of weird, <laughs> if you think about it. but it works. Hey, so I'm really excited about how all these challenges are going to shape the way that we think and what we're going to learn from them. Yeah, you make a great point in terms of like, hey, you may not have all the answers and that's really been my journey with like thinking about creating compassion with algorithms like it has blown up into a way bigger kind of way more questions than i have answers at this point right now right but just even going through the process it is helping to identify you know who are those people you need to have conversations with is this something we can actually encode or do we even not fully understand it yet ourselves what truly is compassion right and is there debate on those things and so i love that you say just going through that thought exercise is really beneficial in making progress even though you may not see it yet right you're doing your exercises before that wave comes so i'm just hoping that wave is going to hit at the right time and i'll be ready paddling away so (laughs) we'll see um but i do want to yeah i do want to shift gears a little bit because I have heard your career story and journey, and there's a couple key elements from that that I really love. And I think it's just such a great example, too, of like you taking action and doing thought experiments and being ready, even when maybe like the wave wasn't there, or the opportunity wasn't there. So do you mind just sharing a little bit about how you got into this field and how you got into teaching um, because I think it'd be really helpful for our audience to hear. Sure. So I, my background, as as I was saying before, is not in energy, it's not in AI, it's in energy engineering. Um, Actually, I'm going to go one step back even. When I was 18 and had to choose if going to college or not, my biggest question was, am I going to be a professional guitar player or am I going to do something else? And in the end, I decided to pick engineering because I thought, well, you know, it sucks to be a guitar player if you don't make enough money to play the music that you want. And you're going to end up playing music that other people want. And so I decided to go for something that was more stable. But what I really missed was creativity. I felt like engineering was really locking me and it was really boring for me, to be honest. So I, I ended up studying, getting a, you know, a bachelor degree in engineering. And then during the, my master's degree, I went to study in Belgium for a year. When I went to Belgium, one of the courses that I decided to pick was a course about entrepreneurship. And that course really put the idea of trying to use technology to solve problems that are not just, hey, I need to build a house. How do we build a house? But problems that we don't have a solution for. And... Thanks to that experience, I won a scholarship by the Italian Ministry for Economic Development. They shipped me to Silicon Valley for a few months. And there I started and had an internship. And I remember that when I was in Silicon Valley, one of the first things that shocked me about that place 
was when I rented a car and started driving from Santa Clara, where I have my house, to San Francisco. And I remember looking at a giant billboard that said, what's the name of a company? And said, artificial intelligence and machine learning. And I thought, what what the hell's going on? I mean, this is a company advertising AI services on the highway. Like if you go to Italy, you don't see AI companies advertising on the highway. You see, you know, pasta companies or fashion companies or telco at best, but you don't see AI services. And so I started researching. And at the time, it was really easy to research and understand what was going on because basically you would just go to Stanford and talk to a few people and you will figure out what was happening in AI. This was 2014 or 15, if I'm not mistaken. So it was really easy to get information. One example is I went to Stanford to listen to a free class from Peter Norvig, who was the head of research at Google Brain. He was just there talking for two hours about how Google completely revolutionized the way that Google Translate worked thanks to AI. It was amazing. So when I came back to Europe, I thought that I I needed to try to bring back a little bit of the knowledge that I got from Silicon Valley. That was also part of the reason why I got that scholarship. The Italian Ministry for Economic Development invested a bunch of money with me and a bunch of other people to go to Silicon Valley and come back and try to bring back something, bring back some knowledge. And so I decided to do these workshops and try to give back to people and try to... It was really nice for me to teach because I felt like it put together a bunch of different things in, in, in my mind, in my personality that I really liked. One was my passion for technology. I mean, I did engineering. I didn't pick it randomly. I actually do like tech, okay? But it was also <laughs> creative. It was also about, you know, finding... I always struggled in finding the best way to explain a concept. I wanted to see that spark in my audience. I wanted to see people to be like, ah, oh, damn, now I get it. And to me, that's a highly creative job, highly rewarding as well when you see people that understand what you're trying to say and you see a little spark turning on in their eyes. And that was what I missed from music. In music, in the end of the day, you're performing. You're just playing your instrument to try to give some emotions to people and try to get the feedback from the audience. It, it's kind of weird, but I, I get kind of the same thing when I'm teaching. Because if I see that I am trying to explain something and people in the audience get passionate because they think, oh, wow, yes, I can do that. I can use that to solve that problem that I have. I get the same kind of feedback loop. And so that to me was the perfect summary of my experiences that I have the past few years. And so if I, if, if I kind of fast forward to today, 2021, what I'm doing now is I run a company called AI Academy uh, that, as you can imagine from the name, it, it mostly <laughs> offers educational programs to companies and to professionals that want to understand what is AI. And I've always had this angle of, I don't want to talk about neural networks. I don't want to talk about coding. I want to try to make this tool it's knowledge more democratic. So I want to talk about the core concepts of it. And I don't want to talk with software developers. I want to talk with doctors. I want to talk with marketeers, business people. I even did a course to some chefs. That was fun to teach some. some uh, there were a couple of chefs in one of my courses to tell them about how AI works. So trying to make it as democratic as possible. So that's a little bit the journey. Oh, yeah, I love and I actually had an aha moment when you were telling your story because I too have a music background and 
have always loved teaching and I just didn't understand like, why do I love teaching so much? And when you shared, it was like similar to performing because like in performing, I loved when I would play a song and people would after say like, you took me to a new place, right? Like you gave me a new experience. And you made that correlation with teaching of like, when you see that aha moment, like you unlock all these possibilities, you unlock these neural connections in someone's brain that have never happened before. Like it's quite magical. So yeah, I, every time I listen to your story, I get new insights and new inspiration. So I appreciate you sharing that. And it's also two way communication, thing- right? Mm-hmm. Because I mean, sometimes yeah. even, even if people in the audience don't talk, the fact that you see that you you see them, you see what they what they feel when you're explaining something. That's also to me, it's something that makes it extremely fun, and that it's a great connection with music. Like it's, I don't like teaching when it becomes lecturing. Just hey, shut up! I'm not gonna even look at you. I'm gonna say everything that I know. To me, teaching really means giving something to people and turn some sparks into their minds. And so, if if you pay attention to what people are are how they are reacting to what you're saying, then you create the magical feedback loop of giving and receiving, giving and receiving that it really reminds me of, you know, musical performances. Yeah, a little like jazz, right? Where you can share, you know, you're all playing together, but (laughs) you can pass it on who wants to play which part. That's awesome. The other thing you do really well, and I think this comes into your teaching aspect, is just communicating technical subject matters to people who may not have a technical background. I mean, kind of encapsulates like you're democratizing AI. But I know you're a big proponent of like, not all, you can't be the only teacher doing this, right? Like you want everybody out there to be spreading the gospel of AI per se, right? And I think there's a lot of amazing people who have wonderful technical skills and understand AI. But then when it comes to sharing applications or sharing the impact really just fall short and it's I can see it frustrating as like you have this almost like this golden star in a box that nobody knows about and you can't tell anybody about and you found a way to communicate that and share that with the world so any tips for people on like how to best communicate technical subject matters yeah, it's it's really hard, but also really rewarding for me. So uh, I think the first thing that I will say is communicating is as important as building. I think because if you if you're able to build the best technology in the world, but people don't understand what it does, don't understand how it does it, and don't understand what's in it for them, then it's completely useless. You know. So then what I recommend is put some effort in becoming a better communicator, a hundred percent. And if you want to do that, so this is kind of the why, because I think it, it it gives more value to what you build. Talking about the how, I think one important thing is, I think the biggest compliment that I had about my book was from an Oxford professor who said, this is one of the first books about technology for non-technical people that I read that don't talk the audience down. So mm-hmm. a lot of technical people, when they talk to non-technical people, they treat them like little kids. So it is the algorithm, it gets the data, and it, you know, and that's really annoying because like these people may not understand technology, but they're not stupid, you know. There's a lot of people that are very smart, but they just happen that they chose a different path and they're they're gonna destroy you if you start talking about marketing, you know. 
they if you go in their field you're gonna feel super dumb and you you will be mm-hmm. really uh, you know sad and not in a good position not gonna have a good time if they start telling you so there is the value proposition and the customer segment so talk to people like they are smart people because that's who they are like you're talking to smart people so talk to them in that way mm-hmm. don't try to talk the audience down it's more your responsibility to make the concepts easy than uh, you know than the other person to you know focus more or whatever and try to understand you so that's that's the second thing the the last thing that i want to say so this is the how is the what so i think the biggest thing that you need to focus on is not everything that you do is as important as you think so you have to try to select what are the technical problems the technical concepts that are actually relevant for the person in front of you to understand in my case, I worked a lot in trying to find that sweet spot between am I telling too little and the person doesn't understand anything because I just didn't give enough concepts or am I gonna am I telling too much so I'm getting into a territory that the other person doesn't care about or it's just it needs a lot of different, you know, concepts that you may not know. An example, if we want to get a little bit, you know, just slightly technical is if you're talking about neural networks, well, you can say, hey, you know, it's learning from data to predict something maybe mm-hmm. too little and you can get all the way to too much you know there's a gradient descent you need to all calculate the gradients and then optimize the weights and biases that becomes a little bit too much because you may get into you know matrix multiplications and all that stuff find your sweet spot find exactly how much you need to share to enable people to understand and think and develop their own thinking but don't go too much so that you share details they require a lot of mental effort but don't really add that much and that's, a, that's hard for people because a lot of technical people are super proud of their algorithms and they want to explain everything about their code. You have to be willing to give up on some things that are relevant for you, but maybe not relevant for the audience and focus on what's really important. Just in this way, you're going to empower people to actually understand you, what you built. Yeah, I, I really love the portion you started with, with, like not talking down to people. I think, especially in this space, like, AI is trendy. We can kind of get on our high priestess of like, oh, because we have this knowledge, we're so much better. And it's like, no, we're privileged. We're privileged that we had, that we got to see a billboard or that we found it through a Google search or someone, uh, one of a friend introduced it to us. So I think I just love that aspect of like, come in like humbly and know that like other people are very smart too and would eat your lunch in their area. Exactly. (laughs) So make make sure you're coming in with grace there i think that's fantastic awesome there's a lot of ways for people to connect with you i highly recommend you go check out this book zero to ai check out the ai academy i have started some classes on there and i'm loving it it is distilled down just to the perfect bit of knowledge um but what are some other ways that people can connect with you well, Instagram, pretty active over there. So at Gianluca.Mauro, which is going to be super hard for you to spell probably, but we're going to put some links, I guess, somewhere. Or, yes. or on LinkedIn as well. I'm pretty active on social media. So if you have questions, if you want to talk about any specific uh, tech-related issue, just text me on these platforms. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show today. I always have aha moments when I'm talking to you. It's a pleasure and I am so happy that somebody is out there democratizing AI and you're doing it with so much compassion and grace. It's really inspiring. So thank you. 
Thank you so much for having me, Sadie. This was a pleasure. All right, everyone. We will talk soon. Keep learning and stay curious and have a great rest of your day. If you're looking for more resources to further your data career or find your tribe, we encourage you to become a member at womenindata.org. See you on the other side.